Hey everyone, welcome to Expansion Cast. Expansion Cast is a magical podcast I created so people could find simple or unconventional solutions to expand their personal awareness and experience. This podcast is dedicated towards revealing people's divine truth and how that divine truth works its way out into the world, one by one, helping liberate each of us on our personal path to freedom. If you love this podcast, please give us a rating and share. Today on Expansion Cast, I have the pleasure of welcoming Christine Yole. Christine is a self-care specialist and she speaks about love-based learning. And today she's going to talk a lot more about this and what it means to you in your experience and your expansion of moving into more freedom. And uh, yeah, so please welcome Christine. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So Christine, you have been doing a lot of videos and you've been doing a lot of work around love-based learning as opposed to fear-based learning. So first of all, what does that mean? And secondly, how does that apply to people in today's pandemic? Yeah, so around the beginning of last year, uh, I had written this blog called Is It Time to Graduate from Fear-Based Learning? And this has actually been something that's been developing organically in my life for a number of years. It started as supporting people to step beyond punishment and reward. And so it actually began in my own process of what's beyond punishment and reward. I recognized in the field of punishment reward, if you're good, you're rewarded. If you're bad, you're punished. So it's like, how do you be good and right so you get rewarded and not be bad and wrong and thus be punished? And in my own life, I was like, well, I feel like I've done everything right. I've been good. I've been diligent. I've been disciplined and I've been focused in my life, but yet things aren't working out as I would like them to. So what am I doing wrong or what am I missing? And so at that point, that's when I started waking up on, wait, what if life itself doesn't work according to punishment and reward? What if there are other principles that are actually informing how things go in life? And and if that's true, what are they? So that's when I started to become really curious about what's beyond punishment and reward. And then fast forward a few years later, I had this thought come in my head, love is not a reward. And then I started investigating that through my own meditation and process to really kind of decode that. And then I wrote a blog called love is not a reward. And, and what that was about was starting to say, see how love has been positioned as a reward. So if you're good, if you're right, you'll get the love and attention you quote deserve. If you're bad and wrong, you'll the love and attention will be withheld from you until you cooperate and do the right thing. And what came in really strongly was love is not a reward. And then that was really a big part of what initiated this development of love-based learning, which is love at the foundation, love as a field and frequency that is 
the foundation of love, safety, and support through which learning is initiated. So part of this progression is graduating from fear-based learning, which is graduating from the base of fear and separation with the learning strategies of domination, manipulation, and control of self or other in order to be good and hope for the rewards and avoid the pain and the punishment. So it's, it's essentially graduating from that structure and recognizing that there's a different way to learn. And many of us can't actually learn in fear-based environments because our nervous system starts collapsing under that level of shame, blame, guilt, sense of not doing it right, not being good enough, not being deserving, not being worthy, missing something. So love-based learning is saying love is, it's, and love, the field and frequency of love, the emanation of love is different from behavioral modification. So we can be completely loving of self and other and still support behavioral modification when we need to make adjustments to our life in order to function better, perform better, be more efficient, et cetera. But love and behavioral modification are two very different things and they have to be disentangled in order for us to live in our hearts. Because if we have love tied in with behavioral modification, if we perceive ourselves to have done something wrong, we will withhold our love from ourselves internally as a punishment and still we get, until we get back in line and thus return the love as a reward. And that's what has to stop essentially, if we have any chance of loving ourselves wholeheartedly 100% of the time. Wow. That's quite a bit to take in, and that seems like it could be quite a uh, transition for many people to move into. And how how can somebody move into that space? How can somebody become that aware? Yeah, it is a progression, and it's unique to each person, right? So it's Really, I think the starting place is just a way to conceptualize it is to recognize there's a fear-based classroom and a love-based classroom. And at some point, you know, if life is all about learning, if we're not learning in the fear-based classroom, then we need a new classroom. We need a different set of conditions under which we can learn. So when there's this recognition that I'm not learning, and I'm here to learn, I'm not growing, and I'm here to grow, then I need the environment that's conducive to that process. So I think the first thing is just recognizing that there's such a thing as a love-based classroom, and that in that environment, learning is different, and growth is different. And so it's just, that's the starting point, is the recognition that there is a different environment that's more conducive to learning. So what does that look like? And can you give me like a, an example, take me through like a scenario of how that change would be facilitated and, and what it actually looks like in real time? Yeah. So first uh, would be uh, to use the example of a fear-based classroom compared to a love-based classroom. We'll start to, and the relationship in classrooms is often between student and teacher. So I'll start with love-based learning. So a teacher would partner with the student. So imagine a teacher coming next to you and saying, where are you? What are your needs, wants, desires, and priorities? And how can I facilitate you learning what you're here to learn, learning what you want to learn? 
acknowledging what's in your best interest to learn to be happy and fulfilled in your life. Okay, so that's an example of a love-based teacher who would come and partner with the student and, and the content, if you will, would be generated through the meeting of the teacher and the student. Okay, fear-based learning is when the teacher, who is often deemed as superior and in the know, decides what the student is to learn. You're here to learn this. This is what's important. This is how it's done. If you don't learn it, come back again. So there's often coercion, force. I know what's best for you. Don't question my authority. Stay in line or else. If you don't learn the way I want you to learn, there's something wrong with you. But I'll make you better because I'm here and I'm committed to your learning. That's kind of the extreme of a fear-based teacher. Whereas a love-based teacher would be like, oh, you're not currently learning this. What else do we need to put in place to support you learning what you want and need to learn? How can I uplift you, support you, partner with you, and become even more aware of who you are and how you learn so as to be able to facilitate your learning process? Whereas a fear-based teacher, which implements strategies of domination, manipulation, and control, and often comes in with, I already know what you need to learn. How do I make you learn it? If you don't learn it, I'll in some way induce a sense of force or make you feel unworthy, undeserving, like something's wrong with you, but I'll make you better. So there's, there's, there's just this intensity, which I'm displaying through my words and energetics so you can get a sense of what that's like. So the key is to just recognize where we've been. We've all been in environments of fear-based learning and on the planet now that both classrooms exist. So the key is to acknowledge that both classrooms exist, and when we're ready, we start making the transition. And the way the transition comes is, one, I'm not learning. Two, there's something wrong here. Three, what it, what's this I'm not good enough thing? What's this shame thing? What's the sense that no matter what I do, I always feel wrong and like I'm missing something? There's something in us that wakes up and goes, this is insane. Like, what the hell happened to me? Why do I have the shame? Why do I feel like I'm not good enough? Why do I have a low self-esteem? Why do I feel like no one really cares about me? Why do I feel depleted, exhausted, depressed, frustrated, and confused? Right? So there's this wake up in the self, or sometimes there's just an exposure to the frequency of love that starts to change something in us. It's like when someone offers us this space of love and we go, oh my God, but I didn't do anything. Why are you loving me right now? What do you expect of me? What do you want from me? No, but, but what do you want from me? Don't love me. What do I need to do? How do I need to perform? Right? Totally, it's just totally. This slow progression to, it's like introducing this new frequency and us starting to just dismantle all this, the conditions we placed on receiving love and all the justifications we have in place for why we weren't loved the way we knew we could be. And all the reasons for it have to break down all our beliefs about who we are and why we aren't loved and what's wrong with us and what we need to change, all of that has to slowly be dismantled to welcome in this frequency that's just like this feeling and frequency of love is here. It's always been here and it will always be here. Like, And we start to be introduced to that frequency that's just there no matter what. And then we can continue to modify and adjust our behaviors according to our growing awareness of what's best for us. 
But again, that feeling and frequency of love that's here no matter what is different from the path of behavioral modification to enhance our quality of living. Mm, very good. Now, seeing as how you're talking a lot about the education system, and that's in your example, I imagine people are having quite a difficult time right now during the pandemic. All the children are at home, but they're still expected to do all their work. And parents are now experiencing a different side of parenting that they've probably never experienced. And this is one very probably pertinent issue that's coming up for them, uh, maybe a struggle. What do you think about that? Yeah, well, I, I think the main thing, those of us on a path of awareness, on a path of growth, on a path of is there a way to live better, be better, is there a way to move beyond my own traumas or, or aspects of my upbringing that were painful? How do I basically be this loving parent that my parents couldn't be for whatever reason, right? So those people on, naturally that are on that progression of I want to parent from love, I want to parent from awareness, I want to support the learning and growth of my child, right? That requires, again, the undoing of the inheritance, the undoing of whatever uh, templates they have around how parenting happens, how teaching happens, et cetera. So, so I would say, the, I mean, the main thing is just getting to know the self, getting to know the child and be living in that question of what's needed here. How can I best support their learning? And it's a huge progression and, and it can be easy to place expectations on the capacity to do it like this, a fear-based kind of um, narrative would be like, just figure it out, just do it. You have, you know, whereas mm -hmm. a love-based narrative would be like, where are you? What do you need as a parent right now? What resources are here to support you? And what does the child need? Where is the child right now? And what's available? What can be cultivated together? How can this support your togetherness? How can this support you learning from your child and your child learning from you? Because in love-based learning, at some point, the roles break down. You're both a, a student and a teacher in any given moment, right? There's a humility in love-based learning that, where it's like, oh, I'm stepping in as a teacher. Oh, I'm learning. And then, you know, those roles can are no longer defined. So how can we bring this love-based learning into a relationship with, say, a spouse or a partner without destroying the lover-friend relationship? Like what I'm saying is, how do we move in this space without bringing the teacher in? Yeah, so you could shift the language of that to a fear-based partner, a love-based partner. So recognizing that, uh, just as we know from our upbringings, it was that which was modeled to us that informed how we behave towards people more than what they said or told us to do, right? So when we offer to our romantic partner, I'm here, I appreciate you, thank you for being in my life, when we extend what we most want to receive, it just supports that reciprocity. 
uh, a fear-based partnership would be like based in expectation. I expect this from you. If you don't give it, I will be resentful and upset. This is what I need. This is what I want. Deliver. <laughs> it's that kind of frequency and tone of expectation, disappointment, manipulation in order to get our needs met. Love-based learning and in this case, like love-based partnership would say, okay, let's come together, acknowledge our needs, acknowledge our wants, acknowledge our preferences, and really hone in on how we can come together. And what needs can we meet on our own? What needs can we meet together? And what needs can be met by the other person? Because in the context of a partnership, there's certain things we can do for ourselves certain things we can do with others and certain things they can do for us. And sometimes those can be misapplied, which leads to power struggles. Mm -hmm. And I believe there's also a, a part where our needs are not necessarily needs. So if I have a need and that need is not met by another person, and I am absolutely certain that it's a valid need, but this need might be based in shame or some other limiting um, system. What? How do I move from there, or how does the spouse move from there in a love, in a love-based um, approach? Well, I think one thing that again, many of us on a path of development and personal growth and awareness um, have recognized is that that aspect of unmet needs or carrying this like despair or disappointment around unmet needs. A lot of those needs were first went unmet when we were young, right? When we were two, three, six, seven, eight, ten, et cetera. So a lot of the initiation of that uh, unmet need scenario was uh, put in place in childhood. So in adulthood, uh, we can check the frequency. Am I an adult with a need right now? Or is this coming from a different space? And you can tell even with the voice tone. If someone's like, hey, lover or spouse, you know, are you, would you be willing to take out the garbage? Right? There's this, there's this frequency. So when we're speaking as an adult, there's a coherent frequency. But if you pay close attention to the voice tone and other aspects, when someone's dropped into more child element, like, why don't you take out the garbage? Why don't you care about me? Why do you make me do everything? Then anyone with awareness would be like, oh, that, that frequency sounds like a, a younger version of us, right? How, and then you can even ask the question like for awareness, how old am I right now? How old am I being? They'll be like, oh, I'm like six. Okay, what's or what happened at six? If you want to you know, go that route, uh, depending on someone's level of awareness and how familiar they are with this type of work. But let's say someone's already familiar with this type of work. How old? What happened when you were six? Oh, my dad always expected me to do things, and when I didn't do them right away, he got mad at me, and so I started to feel really sad, like he's disappointed in me and I'm not good enough for him, right? And then there can be some sort of integration or resolution work that you either do on your own or, or if your partner's into that, does with you to just support this like, wow, that was really hard to live through that. It would be, have been very hard to have a parent who had these expectations of you and then 
if you didn't meet them right away, you know, led, you know, felt disappointed and da, 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 da. So there's different ways of working out those imprints that are not based in present time, right? So there's a lot of different practices and approaches for doing inner work. Uh, so the key is to just recognize the voice tone and where the need is arising from. Is the need arising in the present dynamic? And if it's arising from the present dynamic, there's the availability for it to be met. Usually if it's a need is arising from another time, another space, it's often arising from the frequency of, I know this need won't be met and I'm going to be upset when my partner doesn't need it. That's usually a, a, some sort of echo from another time, because if it's a need from the present relationship dynamic, it will only arise if it can be met. And there'll be an intuition of, Oh, it can't be met here. Is there another way I can be resourced to meet this need elsewhere? Mm -hmm. Well, I do have a belief that needs are created out of um, created out of a space of trying to be in balance. Um, I had a migraine this morning, and my brain is like in the strangest place. I was listening to the radio, and it was it told me it was eight eighty one a.m. I'm hmm. like, what is going on? 8.81 a.m. And I couldn't even, like, it was such a bizarre, probably even hearing that is probably like trips your brain a little bit. And it's like your brain tries to, what? 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 How does that even, how does that come to be? And I think my, my whole being just tripped out by hearing 8.81 this morning. <laughs> and then did they say April Fool's or something? Or? No. I don't think it was April Fool's, do you think? Probably. But then they said like a few minutes later, it was this was like CBC a few minutes later and it was like, it's 882. I, I think my brain was just so, so mumbled up from being in like this space of migraine that, yeah, I mm. couldn't just make sense of it. <laughs> mm. Now they got me thinking, was it like April Fool's? I don't know. I'm going to check that out. <laughs> so there might be some rational thing happening. Mm -hmm. So getting back to needs. Mm -hmm. You know, I fall in, I feel like needs are a bit of a trap and maybe a bit of um, uh, a part of the human being that shows us when we're out of alignment and when we're actually in a space of not having needs, that's when we're actually super healthy or super connected with our divine essence. Because when we're connected with our divine essence, we have no need, no desire for anything. Everything is absolutely perfect. But as soon as we come out of that space, we come to a need, which is based out of a negative vibration. You know, an, uh, an old experience, an old trauma or something that says this is the need to survive. That, you know, this is the need you might have to accept just to survive in the space you're in unless you can actually move beyond the initial trauma. And it could be a small trauma or a big trauma. But yeah, that's kind of that's kind of my thoughts. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of benefit in shifting our language because as we know words carry energy and certain words have have 
been affiliated with certain energies. So often, yeah, the energy of need implies lack, implies uh, external authority, implies I'm not enough, implies there isn't enough, or it can be this notion of then quote need to be like fed and and you can never be fed, et cetera. So often, yeah, in our path of progression will shift from that language of need and especially through meditation and this field and frequency of love. And we often perceive this energy that's abundant that is. And so often our language will start to change to reflect what's going on in us. Uh, so then in a partnership, it may be more the language of creation, right? Which is more common. And, you know, as people develop, as they start to use more the language of like creation and possibility coming together to perceive or know what we can create together or be and do together, what is available here. And so the language starting to be more a language of being, of having, of creation, no longer uh, the language of not enough or starvation, and then the expectation of others to provide or fill that hole. Mm -hmm. So did you have maybe an initial struggle that you had to work through to get to this space that you're in right now, to this uh, this awareness or this free-flowing being that you're experiencing? Yeah, I think it would take a number of hours, if not days, speaking continuously to really be able to articulate half of it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but what I could say now, the the quickest version would be I was a competitive athlete, did an undergrad in the U.S., did a master's degree. So at 25, I had this master's degree, and I had this history of being a competitive athlete, right, one of the top in Canada in high school, et cetera. So I had this one entitlement because I went to a private high school and an Ivy League university, so this notion of I deserve the best because I'm – and I'm entitled to it given – these you know, prestigious schools I went to, et cetera. So I had this expectation of how things would go. And when they didn't go that way, there is this breakdown in me of like, what's wrong? What's happening? What did I miss? Almost like as though I took this test, but I forgot a page. And it was like, I kept looping back, like, where did I go wrong? What did I miss? And it took quite some time for me to, to one, have that entitlement uh, uh, lifted out of me um, being humbled, recognizing how different the world worked outside of academia. That was the main transition I had to make, which was very hard for me. And to let go of being a good student, just anywhere I had, was so conditioned to the structure of academia that the, quote, real world or life outside of academia made no sense to me. So there's just a lot of letdown in my system and confusion and how do I navigate this? And I don't have the same values that other people around me have. I don't function that way. It's almost like I've been conditioned for years on end to function in a certain way that doesn't work. So I had to essentially reset my whole internal world to be able to navigate life in a completely new way, right? I didn't have a coach. I didn't have the structure. I didn't have the clarity of pass, fail, study, and you will succeed. I had this world that 
seemed to function completely different, like kind of artificially in ways I couldn't understand. And so the job isn't based on my excellence. It's based on, you know, who you know, and just all these notions of how the real world functioned made no sense to me. So that led me on just a real one dismantling of that uh, performance-based structure of if I am good and do things right, I'll get rewarded and bad and wrong. I'll be punished like the punishment reward, as I talked about early in the call. And then just a deep questioning and investigation and eventually getting to that root of shame, that sense that I'm wrong no matter what, which was fueling my need to be so successful. And then continuing on from there and, and waking up in consciousness or having a very different awareness of self, life, etc., And then more and more just getting to know what that field and frequency of love is and then dismantling more and more of the architecture of what I've come to name fear-based learning and the impacts in my nervous system of, of being in that sort of environment. Hmm. So how does this world relate in today's pandemic? Yeah, I'll name it. It's quite a large subject, so I'll just name a few things. So in love-based learning, the base is love, safety, and support. And love, safety, and support is actually established energetically and then progressively mentally, emotionally through healing and integration work. So it's more of an inside job, love, safety, and support. And then as that inside job occurs, then there's the capacity to perceive what is safe, perceive what is love, and perceive what is support. So as we undergo this internal transformation, then we can see in the world what is love, what is safety, and what is support, and also discern or recognize what is not that. And, you know, from the highest level, fear and fear-based learning is a part of love. It's not in opposition to it. So that's just a side note. And, um, but yet in the world today, right, in, in fear-based environments, we'll call it, rather than classroom, or we'll let go of that language of education for a while. In fear-based environments, the foundation is fear and separation in a, in an, environment of fear and separation, safety and support. You know, it's more of this grasping. Oh no, how am I going to be safe? What do I need to do to survive? Uh, there's this reliance on the mind and the mental structures to, pro to provide safety. So what happens in a fear-based environment is where the way humans have uh, evolved or developed is to when we feel emotionally unsafe, we try to mentally create certainty and safety through reason, logic, and decisions. Well, I'll just do this and then it'll be fine. Or just so we rely on just the mind alone. And emotionally, we feel very unsafe and uncertain and in fear. So some people, when they feel you know unsafe, uncertain, they resort to wanting an external authority to tell them what to think, what to feel, and how to behave. So they don't trust themselves, and they can't rely on their knowing and their intuition and 
insight. They have to, they resort to an external authority to tell them what to think, what to feel and how to behave. And clearly that's very dangerous because if that, if that authority doesn't have your best interests at heart, the direction that they will lead you is not for your highest good based on what they want and what they think is best. You know, anybody that even has your best interest at heart doesn't always have your best interest at heart, do they? Because, I mean, they're always coming from their own uh, agenda, which might be your best interest, but that could be pure manipulation to make them feel safe around you or turn you into something that they perceive as good. Instead of just accepting you unconditionally for who you are, or even in the struggle you are in. Yeah, and... Or perceived struggle, I should say. Yeah, so the only way to come to know someone's best interest is to be in connection with them, right? The only way, even if I were being with you, I could never assume I already know what you need. I would ha- I have to energetically, emotionally be connected to you and thus discern over time what your best interests are. And they're ever-evolving, they're they're ever changing. But in our current paradigm of separation, we're that we're not connected on one level of experience, right? On higher levels, you can argue obviously for oneness and we're all connected and we all belong to the same source, etc. But when if we go down into this framework of separation and certain paradigms that exist on the planet, there's this disconnection to such a degree that we can't possibly know what's right for someone else because they're too disconnected and especially emotionally, because a lot of people, the way they've learned to be safe in the world is to be disconnected from others emotionally and rely on their mind to steer their life. And so what's happening now is there's a lot of people in that space, right. Of having shut down emotionally and using their mind to steer their life who have different agendas on what the best course of action is. That's a terrible place to be. Yeah, absolutely. Just turns my gut thinking about it. (laughs) Yeah, but it's important to acknowledge that element of humanity so as to be aware of it, so as to know how to interface or interact with that and acknowledge that it is here and it is a strategy. So one strategy, again, is to close down emotionally, rely solely on the mind to guide action and If one is doing that, it's impossible for them to truly consider another's best interest because unless you're emotionally connected, you don't know what what they are. So how do we move from a disconnected emotional state into a connected emotional state? I mean, the ultimate way is through the field and frequency of love. Other ways people would speak about that is through the heart, through the heart where there is no separation. So in a sense, there's a, there's a unified space or a unified field that we can be a part of or in and engage in. So there's less fear and separation, greater trust. Like all these things are progressively established and there's no uh, easy step-by-step program, but ultimately it's communication, but it's communication through the heart, the body, the mind, and beyond, right? So we have these different modes or methods or styles of perception that support us being connected. Okay, another question. Mm -hmm. 
Some people say that love is like the highest vibration. And then there's other people that say that joy is the highest vibration. And that love actually falls under joy. Have you heard of this? And what are your thoughts on that? If what, what's, what feels true for you? Well, the thing with the word love is it has come to mean so many different things. Love isn't actually a feeling. It's a space that has no separation. It's a, a unified field. It's, the, it's unity. It's uh, beauty. It's quintessence. It's like all these different words that can describe this space that includes everything. Okay, some people describe that space as radiance, and that's what I would describe it as. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so in that regard, that frequency or that radiance emanation, it is what it is. It's completely undefined. Mm-hmm. But often when we're in the presence of that, our nervous system relaxes. And so there's just different ways to to come to know it. There's a spaciousness the peace. There's a capacity to breathe. All of that. So intimacy becomes a different uh, animal altogether, doesn't it? Yeah. So what's your description like? How would you describe your experience of experiencing intimacy with a human being before experiencing the radiance that you experience now or the love whatever you we want to call it can you describe the the contrast yeah so prior to let's say the awakened heart or awakening into love or however you want to name that shift uh prior yeah it's more like coming together with another person this is my body that's their body What do I want them to do to me so I feel pleasured? What can I do to them so they feel pleasure so that we can both have a good experience? So again, intimacy goes beyond the bedroom, but that's the easiest example. So contrast to this meeting and this spaciousness of love or this feeling frequency of love, it's more a meeting and then listening to to my body, to their body, to the space that unites our bodies and perceiving what wants to unfold. So it's more like this dance moment to moment. So there isn't this like registering of my body, their body. It's just, we're just here in this living moment, attuned to the spontaneity of being, attuned to touch, attuned to energy, attuned to breath, all these things. Conscious spontaneity. Mm-hmm. So where are you right now? And how would you describe who you are today? So where I am isn't a place or a defined state. At some point, all linear concepts of progression fall away. So there isn't this check mark for where I am and there's no comparison to where I was. There's this quality of isness or this being here with what is, being in the space 
of now. There's so many words that to attempt to articulate it. Being a, engaged in the living moment, listening, hearing, asking, perceiving, coming to know who I am. So there isn't a definition on I am this, I am not that. There's just this ever unfolding recognition of the self. If you were to put this entire beautiful description into one term, what would it be? Yeah, some would name it as a, some people use the word of tantra, right? Which, this unity with life or this surrender to life, this living moment. Uh, different words that could attempt to describe it are just more and more the space of unity where I'm like unified with all things and navigating as that. So there's kind of a listening through all of creation and a participation in all of creation. So it is quite mystical in one regard, and it can be disorienting in other regards, interfacing with certain uh, fields where if someone is functioning in total separation, then I still take them as part of me, and I can often perceive what's arising in their body and their mind, but yet they assume I can't, so then I present as not, you know, et cetera. So it's a fascinating uh, thing to live as this, but it's where my life has taken me. So it's where I am. Mm -hmm. and there's nothing else. Mm -hmm. So we talk about all these theories and beautiful notions, and I just wonder how one can move into this this love space that you're speaking of, and share it with like the basic family structure that exists? Well, I would say the primary offering is energetic. So the spaciousness of being and the frequency of love, like that is felt, even if it's not felt on the surface in someone, it's felt deep in them. So even that is a form of initiation, which when they're ready, will lead them somewhere. And I can't decide what's right for them or that I am their teacher, mm -hmm. right? That's a self-assessment and it always has to be for it to be pure. We know who our teachers are. We know how there's something that they know, or I know along my path, there have been different healers and different people. I'm like, I need to have a session with them. Like I'm aware that there's something they know or can facilitate. So, I think the primary thing is just this emanation, this acknowledgement. When you acknowledge someone, acknowledge their presence, just acknowledge them deeply. Something wakes up and they may not register it that day, but they register it when they register it. And then their own wisdom, their own innate knowledge, their own innate uh, capacity for intelligence will lead them you know, to the books they need, et cetera. Because I really do believe that there are people in the world who can teach in different phases of the journey. And we don't all have to try to simplify our work to meet the beginner. Other people can teach a beginner and we can teach from where we are. So I think there's, there's the art to that. Uh, obviously we, if someone comes to us, we meet them where they are from where we are. We find that meeting place or space. You know, say for me, I can adjust my language depending on who, my, who I'm in front of because my heart is informed and desires to connect and be together. 
So there's, there's an adjustment that naturally occurs to facilitate connection. So that's what we have. We have our, the wisdom, the intelligence of our heart that can guide us when we're with people. And I can't give effective advice if I'm not uh, connected to someone through the heart. So I could, I could speak directly to a beginner, but only when I'm like with that particular person or a group of people that I know what to say, what's true, where they're at, how to speak to that. But in every moment, I'm informed by who I'm with as to what to say, because the ultimate truth is conveyed in silence. No words can capture the truth. The truth is conveyed in silence and love is conveyed in silence. And then we allow words to just point to that truth and point to that love. Hmm. I really think that's a great space to end the podcast. And yeah, if, if, um, so if anybody who's, you know, experiencing what Christine is saying as truth for you and you feel invited, um, you can get a hold of Christine at my website, christineyole.com. Mm-hmm. C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E-Y-O-L-E dot com or through Facebook. I do have videos on YouTube. Thank you for joining me. And yeah, so if anybody wants to get a hold of Christine, please do. She is, you know, she's been pretty serious and straightforward on the podcast, but all my experiences with Christine, she's like funny, joyful, lots of spunk energy, and and one of the most intelligent women I know. So, yeah, give her a shot. Oh, thanks so much, everyone, for listening. We're happy to have you here. This podcast is Expansion Cast. Thank you for listening.